freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus, sorry about, just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. We'll talk to Bob Condota coming up here in 30 minutes about Seahawks practice yesterday and kind of where they go from here as mandatory mini camps have been underway. Brock, yesterday was sad day. Sad day in sports. The PGA Tour succumbing to live golf and the Saudi investment fund. It's sad. It is a sad thing for sports. It's sad for the PGA Tour. It's sad for the players, certainly the ones that were loyal and chose honor and competition and morality over the money. It's sad for them that they were stabbed in the back, that they were double-crossed by their organization, by their commissioner, by their tour policy board. Mm -hmm. It is a sad day for them. I believe it will be potentially a sad day for all of us, as this may be just the start of what could absolutely occur in other sports over the course of time. So there's two ways of looking at this. And, and, and gosh, you and I, I think, honestly, could talk about this for hours. But we should first, do a podcast. I, 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 w- I could legitimately just I would love to. <laughs> yes. The first one is the PGA chose money over morality. Mm-hmm. That as Brandel Chambly said yesterday, they chose profits over principles mm-hmm. after not only saying publicly, but in lobbying to Congress. I don't know if you saw Chris Murphy from Connecticut saying yesterday, wait a minute, these guys were in here a couple of months ago saying that the Saudis human rights record should disqualify them from having a stake in a major American sport. Now you're selling to them mm-hmm. that they chose money over all of the morality that they had argued for here over the course of the last year and that they did it while stabbing their players in the back. It's ugly. Read Dan Wetzel on it. He's absolutely brilliant, and it's worth your time. Okay, that's easy. It's easy to go down that road, and we all know. Gosh, kind that of, sounds like a Brock and Salk year one, year two kind of conversation, right? right? About morality and right and wrong. Okay, but, but but that's easy, right? I mean, like, G's just in it. Everybody has a price. Yeah, all right. There's a great conversation to be had there, but I'm not sure. Just listening to everybody, talking to people, reading about it yesterday, that that's truly what happened. And I think when you hear from Andres Gonzalez yesterday or a few minutes ago, there's some of this in there. They didn't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. Is Jay Monahan evil or did he get played? Or, or was he not strong enough with his PGA Tour as, position you know, to be able to battle the Saudis? As I was listening to Andre Gonzalez talk about that, and, and a guy that was on the tour for five years, covers the tour, knows this stuff inside and out, the name that I write down, as I frequently do, into uh, young aspiring uh, mm-hmm. radio broadcasters and such, let me you know, just give you a little. There's the notes. Yeah, I just take a lot of notes, right? Whatever, just let your mind go. And, and whatever you're hearing, just doodle, just write down notes, just write and if you can't keep them in your head like Saul can, I'm not brilliant like that. I'm not a smart man, so I've got to write things down. As he's talking about Jay Monahan, I write down the name Roger Goodell. Mm-hmm. Roger Goodell has to take the arrows. And you hate Roger Goodell. You don't like Roger Goodell. You think Roger Goodell is evil. I know that Roger Goodell's job is to, to, to be the arrow taker. Uh, in the 32 owners yep. around the league, pay him a lot of money to do so. Okay. Jay Monahan was the front man yesterday. He, he had to go out there and he had to take all of the arrows for a, a an organization right now that the only the only sense that I can come to a little bit like Andre is they're broke. Sorry, we don't have the money. I don't know if they're broke. I mean, if the Saudis hadn't come after them, I think they would be just fine. 
but Rich Lerner said yesterday, Brock, to your point, that the tour was not in a good financial position relative to the Saudis. I should say broke compared to the Saudis. Yeah, compared but here's the to, thing. So yeah. is the NFL compared to the yeah. Saudis. So is anybody. If they want to come after any league, Brock, they could absolutely use this blueprint. And because it's not just the bad financial position, it's the secretive nature of the whole thing and how little they want their business public. Mm. Eamon Lynch, who's another really smart guy who was on Golf Channel throughout the day yesterday, I wrote this down. I took my own notes. He called them, quote, two secretive organizations with legal exposure that they didn't want coming out during discovery. Can you imagine how little, how little Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL would want their business coming out? Remember when the players said, hey, we'll let you uh, take a higher percentage of the money. Just show us your books to prove it. Mm-hmm. And they locked them out on that principle. Mm-hmm. They don't want anybody, anybody looking at their books. So, yes, you say that, that he's a front man. All right. For who? Who are the owners of golf? Who, who hires and fires him? Do you know? I didn't. I asked yesterday. I had no idea. Moore asked me the question. I was like, God, I don't even have a clue. Mm -hmm. It's an 11-person policy board, okay? (laughs) It's made up of five players. Right now, those players are Patrick Cantlay, Charlie Hoffman, Peter Malnati, who's pictured wearing his bucket hat, Rory McIlroy, and uh, Webb Simpson. The PGA of America director, whose name is John Lindert, and then five independent directors. Three of them aren't particularly relevant to this situation, but one of them's the former chairman and CEO of AT&T. One of them works at a place called Bond Capital. She's a partner there, which Mm -hmm. is an investment firm. Mm -hmm. One guy's at another investment management company called uh, Wellington Management Company. But the last two are the most interesting because they're the two who actually negotiated this deal before Jay Monahan even got involved. That, according to the Dan Rappaport report this morning on Barstool, their names are Ed Herlihy and Jimmy Dunn, D-U-N-N-E. Dunn is the senior managing principal at Piper Sandler. I know where this is going. What do they do, Brock? Yeah, Any guesses? They're a mergers and acquisitions yep. consulting firm. Yep. The other is the co-chairman at a law firm called Wachtell, Lipton, Rosen, and Katz. Texted my buddy who does M&A Law in New York. Hey, what do you know about Wachtell? Oh, I know a lot about them. They're a relatively small firm, but they're M&A experts. The highest profits per partner of any law firm by a factor of about 2x. Brock, this got done by M&A people behind the scenes, not Jay Monahan. It got done by the people with real power, with real money, who really understood the situation the tour was in and what they needed to do. Here's why Jay Monahan should not escape criticism. This was, if nothing else, taking away the morality, the money. If, if you take away nothing else, this was one of the worst PR and management strategies imaginable. Because not only, he should have recognized this a year ago. When this started, they should have known they didn't have a chance. And if they were eventually always going to cave to live, because they weren't going to have a choice but to do so, why go down the morality road that you could never afford to win? 
People can accept the fact that you have to do business with bad people in today's day and age. Brock, you think I love going to Shell or Exxon or wherever I have to go fill up my gas tank? I don't, but I also need to drive somewhere, so that's Mm -hmm. what I go do. Mm -hmm. Is the Saudi even fund invested in Citibank? Yeah. Do I have a Capital One card and a City card? Yeah, I don't don't have a choice. Like, I, I have to live my life. But when you set the whole thing up and say that morality is at the heart of it, and oh, by the way, you convince your best players to turn down money on the idea of morality, you are setting yourself up for an absolute PR marketing nightmare down the road in when the inevitable happens, okay. and it did, you look ridiculous. So do you see Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson and those guys differently? Do you see him differently? I mean, the former president tweeted no. like a year ago saying to, hey, I mean, he knew all of this. You know, the people in the know, they know some of the people in the background mm-hmm. and, and a whole lot more than anybody else. Yep. And, and he had made a point to these players choosing morality like, hey, this is a losing cause. You're going to lose in this one. And, you know, so do you look at Dustin and Brooks and Patrick Reed and the others that just said this is in- inevitable? I got to use a Citibank card. I got to fill up my gas at Exxon. Right. Like, this is inevitable. Is is shambles as the is the PGA is and and as broken as some of the leadership models are and, and where this thing is going. I mean, might as well take the money now and no, get it on the second hand too. You don't look at them differently. No, I don't. I, I still think they did it the wrong way. But what if those guys had just said no? What if those guys would have all just said see, because you you made this point yesterday and it's a good one and it certainly is if you try to foreshadow what could come in other leagues they still needed those saudis still needed dustin johnson and patrick reed and brooks mm-hmm. kepka to take the hundreds of millions of dollars otherwise this would not have happened that's they, true they could yeah they could if, have all if been everybody loyal. and if everybody had been loyal they would have been yes. able to block this yes they that's would have, so yeah no yeah. i don't look at them any differently yep. <laughs> if anything maybe i look at them worse Right. Right. I mean, like they were the pawns or as uh, Dan Wetzel said yesterday, the uh, what was it? The useful idiots. Useful idiots. That's the most accurate term I've heard in this entire process. That that they moved around the chessboard. And and if there's greed and those guys had it, eventually they were going to be able to take everybody else out. Dude, it is it is a sad, sad day. And I'm telling you, I'm not I don't I'm not telling you this is going to happen in the NFL tomorrow. That's not the point I'm making. Nope. But do I think that the Saudis could absolutely follow this blueprint elsewhere with other leagues? Yes, eventually. And I'm not the only one saying that. Mike Freeman wrote it today in USA Today. I saw um, Alan Shipnook talking about it yesterday, Brock. Th- th- their money is is so powerful. It's like the end of a, of a Texas Hold'em match where one person has so much money, and I only know this from watching uh, Rounders, when you have so much money and the other person's down to nothing, yeah. you just bully them and and, and bet them I to death. I just want to say that I think Salk manifested this by saying yesterday's never felt sadness That's before. Right. right. And That's now right. it's like and it's now the it's saddest sad. day. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and it had to be a sports Now I'm, now I'm very sad. <laughs> it's a sad day, man, and it may end up being a Saturday when it's all said and done. We may be looking at this as... Truly an awful, awful sports moment. We'll wait and find out. Coming up next, we will uh, give you everything you need to know, including the most complete victory the Mariners have had in weeks. It's next on Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. 
up first. After a really lousy week, it was nice to, at the very least, see the Mariners look like the baseball team they were supposed to be yesterday. Can they continue it? Well, that's really up to them. But if they kind of play the kind of baseball they did yesterday, they'll be good. Right? That's what they're supposed to be. They pitched great. Logan Gilbert was absolutely dominant. I thought late in the game, the lefties, he got the split finger in play, uh, which is a huge pitch for him. Um, but it starts with the fastball. When you're commanding it early in the game, you get the respect from the other team with your fastball, and that's what he did tonight. And that's why the off-speed pitches played up after that. He was tremendous, went seven strong, and the bats came to life. They worked counts. They got the starting pitcher out after only five innings. And then Teoscar Hernandez, Brock, he didn't strike out on this pitch. Here's the 3-2. Swung on. Blasted. Center field. Driven deep. Tatis back looking up. It is gone. Into the Padres bullpen. Teoscar Hernandez. Was that more important than the Julio Rodriguez bomb? Yes. Yeah, I think I think it was. Uh, you've got to get him going. And and I said, you know, last hour uh, of all of the additions and the guys that have struggled with the new pieces, he's the one that's got a long resume. He's got a long baseball card and he's not that old and he is in a contract year. And I think he's one of those at bats and and he even said as much after the game that I know I'm going to strike out. I mean, that's just what I'm willing to to live with. But on the other side, then you've got to produce home runs. You've got to produce power. When this team hits home runs, they win games, mm-hmm. period. End of story. That, that has been consistent through 60. the first 16. one they'd hit since the first game of the Yankees series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just haven't been hitting home runs. Pretty yes. crazy. Well, and it's not been a marine layer. The weather's been beautiful in the Northwest. And, it, and you know, Texas is a, is a home run hitting park. And, I know. Just yeah. bizarre. But they went there and they crushed yep. a couple of them last night. They get the win. Marco Gonzalez going to need about a month to get back from the flexor strain in his left, left forearm. Good news. It's only a month, at least as of right now. It's not going to require Tommy John. It doesn't appear to be affecting the elbow, but that's a long month. Brian Wu will at least start in the rotation for now. And then you got to see Andres Munoz and Dylan Moore both return from the IL yesterday. Unfortunately, uh, Sam Haggerty got sent down to Tacoma. And Trevor Gott uh, goes to the IL as well. So he's pitched really well. Munoz will take his spot. They get back to it today. Matinee baseball. Uh, finale, just a quick two games. The better cup. Here. Go win that Eddie Better Cup right. today. Go get it done. George Kirby and Michael Walker. Here's the second thing you need to know. Mandatory minicamp started yesterday. Good news was no news. Alton Robinson, Mario Edwards Jr., Jordan Brooks, and even Jamal Adams all there, though the latter two were not practicing. Quandre Diggs, excited to see everybody. I mean, this week is dope, you feel me? Because now everybody's here, you know what I mean? And everybody's running their own race, you know what I mean? So I know what's Ma- what Maul and JB are going through, you know, with injuries and rehabbing and stuff like that. So, you know, I talk to those guys and, you know, having Maul back, is, it's been awesome. You know what I mean? Um, you guys know you guys know our relationship is different when 33's out there. And uh, it's just the energy, uh, a contagious, you know, thing that he brings. And it's one of those things that I can't wait to, he's back out there, like, playing, playing, because it's going to be fun. You know, I know he has big goals, which he should. When he's playing, playing, and, in, and when healthy, he's a difference maker in this league when he's playing, playing. Unfortunately, we've not seen much of that. Injuries have, have curtailed two of his three seasons in Seattle. The one that he was dominant was in a, a COVID season that was just kind of funky and goofy all the way around. If he's playing, playing, along with Quandre and the rest of them, they're going to be a different team. If I said that Jackson Smith and Jigba and Devin Witherspoon are worth a game, Maybe a game, if they can live up to huge expectations as first-round picks, what's Jamal Adams worth? A healthy, driven, 
Jamal Adams, put in a position of strength closer to the line of scrimmage than backing up, I think he's worth a game too. And you start putting those games together, and all of a sudden you become from a 9-win team, a 10- or 11-win team, and you're a whole lot more competitive with those Niners. Uh, one other note uh, on the Seahawks. Derek Hall did sign his rookie deal uh, as a second-round pick. He is going to join us tomorrow. We'll do that interview after the show today. We'll tape it with him down there, and then we will play it for you guys tomorrow morning. Here's the third thing you need to know. Just an unbelievable story yesterday. Everyone shocked to find out that the Live Tour and the PGA Tour were quote-unquote merging. The more we learn about it, the more they weren't merging. The more I realize that the Saudis bought the PGA Tour. Brandel Chambliss says a tough day. Uh, after the shock sort of ebbed away, I was hugely disappointed. I think this is one of the saddest days in the history of professional golf. Uh, I do believe that the governing bodies, the entities, the professional entities have sacrificed their principles for profit. I don't know how you can look at it any different way. I mean, we try to attack these stories from different perspectives. You and I, Salk, many times see the world differently, ideologically, so, in different so ways. You don't but, think that there's an element of they weren't looking just for profit. They were trying to save the tour, that this was the only option left. Correct. They had to they had to salvage their their business. Yeah, I, th- I think that that is a big part of it. So I don't think it's just necessarily to Brandel's point of all profits. It's survival, too. Mm-hmm. But man, <laughs> those individual players not sold out. Had they not bought Had They not taken that indecent proposal money from yep. the beginning. Wouldn't be here 12, 15 months later. Pretty amazing. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. By the way, uh, Saturday, June 17th, you can join the Mariners for a salute to the Negro Leagues Day. Uh, the players will be wearing special Steelheads uniforms as they take on the White Sox at 110. First 10,000 fans can pick up their own Steelheads jerseys, which they should be wearing full time, by the way, thanks to mm. Alaska Airlines. Get your tickets at Mariners.com. Uh, very cool. Did you uh, mention yesterday? Yet that the Seahawks are going to wear their you No, know, I haven't yet jerseys. mentioned that. I probably should, and uh, they're pretty excited about it, Tyler Lockett included. Excited. I wish we did a game one. Oh, I love them. I mean, we got to do um, the little photo shoot, and, you know, I'm thinking about being a model at some point in my life. <laughs> After that photo shoot, I thought I did a heck of a Did job. you see the picture of you on uh, SeattleSports.com yesterday? I did. I did. You that and Todd Weiner, right? Yeah, me and Todd Weiner. I did watch Steve Largent highlights as well. Saw that. I'm thinking that Lockett should really go all in. Because there's, I mean, the, the hairline's already there. He's kind of an older dude. Like, <laughs> Steve, he should go all Spat in. Spat it up like you did? This, no, 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 not on me. On Steve Largent. Oh. He should wear the Steve Largent face mask. Are you familiar with the old Steve Largent face mask? Jeez, was it like the LT one? <laughs> uh, or was no. it a one bar? No, it was close to a one bar. It was just a little two bar. Oh, the little two bar. Yeah, like yes. the kicker two bar. Oh, yes. I like that. I, wear the same helmet. I could protect your head and right. you know, have the same helmet. But go with a little two bar. But go with a little two bar. Because him running routes with a little two bar like that. How come more people don't wear the two bar? I would think it would be so hard to see as a wide receiver. I'm surprised because you more can people get don't punched do that. in the face. Yeah. Rather he's going to punch you in the face. I mean, hockey players get punched in the face all the time, and they're just fine. Bob Condota will give us some good answers, some straight answers. He will join us next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.
All right, busy morning here. And Seahawks, of course, uh, had their first of three mandatory minicamp practices yesterday. They'll have one more today. We'll speak with uh, Derek Hall before that, and then uh, we'll have that interview for you tomorrow. And I'll make my way out there for a little bit today and uh, probably tomorrow as well. Mora was there yesterday. So was our next guest, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times, who covers the Seahawks. Why Bob? Why not Rob or Robert? Do you always go with Bob? Is that uh, since childhood, Bob? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it was my choice, I guess. It was just what my family called me, so I just kind of went with it. But, right. yeah. What about see, Bob? I can see you as a Robert. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I mean, that. well, that's my official first name, but right. nobody ever, ever called me that. Yeah, I so, can't like, see you yeah, as a Rob or a Robbie or anything like that, though. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I, I guess I've never given it that much thought, to be honest with you. I guess I should have. Well, I will tell you, in previous drafts during the COVID years, you were definitely a bob. I mean, the hair was everywhere. You, you kind of cleaned up yeah. that little bit this year. You cut it down, maybe a little more Robert now, a little more fine and refu- uh, refined. Yeah, well, that was kind of just a COVID thing, I guess, for that year when, you know, you didn't do that. They just kind of kept it for a little while. Right. <laughs> Trying to get back to normal now. What yeah. would you see out there yesterday, Bob? Um, what was, it was nice sort uh, what I guess continues to strike me is just some of the rookies that you, you know, you like kind of seeing them. And when you get all the veterans out there and, and most of the veterans have all been out there, but, um, you know, continuing to see those guys kind of uh, just, um, you know, I thought Jackson uh, Smith and Jigba had a pretty good day, uh, just, just kind of running around. I mean, it's just kind of been the worry about with his hamstring and stuff like that. But, you know, you see him continuing to just do a lot of stuff and kind of, you know, one day after the next, after the next, he hasn't, you know, had any setbacks or anything with that. So, um, you know, that's that's sort of encouraging. Um, you know, I, I thought Zach Sarbanen kind of showed up for me a little, little bit yesterday, just watching him run around and watching the receivers catch passes and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, you sort of see uh, Teddy McIntosh too. I, I think he had a touchdown in one of the um, in, in one of the uh, goal line sessions that they had, catching a pass out of the backfield. Um, so just I don't know. The, the rookies always really catch my eye this time of year. Um, and then just you know the quarterback spot, just seeing um, you know again, it's uh, this time of year is always tricky because you know the, the the way the rules are, they can't necessarily make you know huge plays on the ball. They kind of have to, you know, everybody has to try to avoid contact, but, uh, you know, just kind of seeing some of the battles that DK was having with guys like, uh, with Artie Burns and Trey Brown and stuff like that was fun to watch. And, and it's just, I think it's a pretty feisty secondary. I think, I think the secondary, once they get it all put together, if you get Jamal Adams back into that, we saw him there yesterday. It's, it's going to be really interesting to me to see how they play at work out all these roles and that it should be a lot better, I think, than it was last year. The great Sir Robert Condota from the Seattle Times joining us this morning. Why do you think these rookies have come to life so much the last two years? I mean, last year's class, we saw it during this time of the year, and then they exploded onto the scene and, and really took their opportunities and ran with it. What, five-plus starters as rookies last year? It feels like this rookie class has taken a page right out of that book. Why have they come to life so much in these last couple of years as you've covered this team, Bob, for a decade plus, and that wasn't necessarily the case in many of the draft classes? Well, the, the one boring, obvious answer is just, you know, it's a lot of high picks. I mean, you've got four of the top 53 picks out there. You would hope that you got some guys that look like they could come in and play immediately. And that was sort of the case last year, too, with that, with having some, some really high picks. You know, they've, they've drafted maybe a little bit more for need, or I mean, best, kind of both. I mean, last year I felt 
you know, they did draft for need. I mean, you can, you know, you can talk best player available, but they needed offensive tackles. And then they went and used two of their top three picks on tackles and, and they hit big on both those guys, you know, that, that look like they're going to be bookend tackles for a long time this year. I think because of some of the successes of what they did last year, they were able to go a little bit more best player available and just kind of, uh, you know, they, they still, because they had enough draft ammunition, you could sort of do both, right? Because you knew, well, we got five or six pretty high picks, so we could kind of go best player available in the order while still checking off things we know we need, like another running back and things like that. So, um, you know, I think it's just adding a lot of a lot of guys, a, a, a lot of guys that spots where there was sort of an immediate need for guys to step in and, and play right away, and so then you see that show up. I, I really like what they've done, obviously, the last couple of years. Everybody seems to, and for good reason. The one concern I have, though, is maybe how much they're counting on this next group of rookies to do what last year's class did right away. How how, how important is it for this team to have their rookies succeed as rookies this year? Yeah, well, and that's and I mean, last year, I, I think just with, like, the tackles, I, I think there was there – was, somewhat of an even bigger risk there because, you know, if it's for some reason Charles Cross hadn't worked out or whatever, mm-hmm. you were really going to be back to square one. I, I don't know that this year's class has necessarily – I mean, you're not looking at any guy there as if this guy doesn't pan out, the season's going to go away. It's it's a little bit more of a – if, you know, if, if Jackson Smith and Jigba is really what we think he's going to be, then we've got a three-man receiving trio that's going to be as good as anybody's in the NFL. So I think there's – sort of a little bit more of that kind of upside with this year's class. You know, even, I mean, even Witherspoon sort of that way. I mean, it's, you know, they've got some good corners, obviously, with, with Tariq Wollin and, and uh, you know, Mike, Mike Jackson, you know, playing pretty well last year, but kind of looking like he's t- taking a step forward this year, Trey Brown being back to health and all that. So, you know, if Witherspoon really turns out to be all that, then you've really got, you know, you've really got a quarterback core that could just be a lot better than it was, uh, than it was last year. So I, I think there's a little bit less of that, but, um, where I would agree with you for sure is just the defensive lineman. I mean, you need Derek Hall to, to, to be a guy who can come in and contribute right away as an edge rusher. You're going to need Mike Morris to be able to step into a key role as, as one of the interior defensive line. Um, but, you know, I, if, if, if neither of that happens, I don't know that it necessarily kills the season. I think it's just more of if those things do happen, then this, this team could really take that step for being a nine-win team to, you know, maybe even be an 11- or a 12-win team. Do you feel like you know covering this team who Jamal Adams is the last three years? Well, it's, it's, it, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's been hard to really get a sense of that because we've seen him so little in so many ways. You know, um, he's just kind of battled injuries, obviously, since since he got here, and, and then even during the off season programs and stuff like that, he's you know kind of been coming off surgeries. It seems like all the time, so it's been hard to get that sense. You know, I don't think it's breaking news. I mean, this is going to be a make-or-break year for him but with the contract that he has and the way it's set up for the future. Um, you know, they're committed to him for this year and to try and to, and to hope he gets healthy and to hope he can uh, hope they can find a role for him or where he can really be a defensive playmaker. And if and if not, then they'll have a you know a hard decision to make or maybe even not that hard of a decision to make after this season, depending on how it goes. Um, but you know, I think we're going to see him play. Uh, you know, a lot more as a as a as a closer to the line. You know, as an in the box player, and, and I think they they want to use the three safety sets a lot that way. And that's you know another guy that I haven't mentioned yet. When you talk about the secondary and how it's going to fit together, is Julian Love, and um, you know you see him obviously working with with the starters a lot with Quandre, and you see them moving those guys around a lot, and then you envision what they're going to do with Jamal when he comes back. And I, you know, Julian Love's going to find his way out of the field a lot, even when Jamal comes back, because I think they want to do that a lot with kind of using three safeties and just trying to mix and match those guys quite a bit. So, 
um, you know, the danger there, I guess, can be if you try to have everybody do too much or do not, you know, they were so successful, obviously, in the LLB era when they just sort of threw four defensive backs out there and they knew what their role was at every play and they played every snap and that was that. Um, you know, with this with this group, you could have a little bit more trying to, you know, have specialty packages and things like that. But I think that's a little bit the way the NFL is going to try to combat what offenses are doing. Mora told me yesterday that uh, Witherspoon was actually working inside at nickel a little bit. Is that to set up sort of a competition almost between Mike Jackson and Kobe Bryant? Um, well, I, you know, we haven't seen Kobe Bryant. And so I, I, we didn't, uh, we've only been able to talk to Pete once in the last three weeks. And I, I, we didn't ask what the situation is with Kobe. So we haven't seen him out there. So I, I don't know if some of this is simply that, uh, um, you know, he hasn't been practicing. And so then obviously somebody's got to play the nickel spot. So they're trying to roll some guys through there. You know, they did, I, I wrote about this a little bit for my story for today. I, you know, on draft night, they did say that, um, that was a spot they would consider Witherspoon playing is is the nickel. So it's possible they just were throwing him in there for some of those snaps yesterday to get to get a feel for how that would look. Um, and uh, you know, and the, the Trey Brown yesterday because of that, who had been doing some nickel, uh, seemed to be mostly playing on the outside. And um, you know, they've had Jarek Reed playing some of the nickel as well. The the, the six round pick, he's a really interesting player, also. Um, so, you know, this is sort of the time of year you do some of that and you let guys get a lot of snaps and you see what it looks like before you then take the break for training camp. Um, so you have some film of guys doing that. So my sense is it's probably as much that as anything. But, um, you know, I, I think it's something they, they certainly would consider if it's a way to get what they what they would feel like is their three best corners on the field. I mean, that's ultimately what they're going to want to do is, you know, find who your three best corners are and get them on the field in the spots where you feel like they could be the most effective. You miss Russell Wilson. Um, well, I mean, I, I do in the sense that it was it, it was obviously it really uh, it was fun and interesting having you know one of the best most uh, um, most highlighted spotlighted quarterbacks in the NFL to, to cover for ten years. So um, for sure, I, I mean, I, I sort of miss what yeah. the, the way the way it was with Russell for a lot of those years. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't. I obviously it's, you know it wasn't the it wasn't the most graceful of exits and all of that. And, um, and you know, the team is, is, I, I think, I, I think we're going to look and, and feel like they're going to be, they're going to have been a lot better off having made that move when they did for all that they got. Um, you know, from, even if you just looked at it purely from a football perspective, what they were able to get in terms of the draft picks and the cap savings and things like that moving forward, you know, it looks like they've really positioned them well that way. So if you're talking about just today, I mean, I think they're better off obviously with what happened, but you know, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think you can ever look back and not say it wasn't a lot of fun having, you know, fun and interesting um, having him around for all those years. I think in 97, Bob, you wrote a piece about me being in the best shape of my life. And oh, since 97, wow. you've written an article on every Seahawk. <laughs> that was Huskies back in the day. This guy's come in the best shape of his life. Tongue in cheek, obviously. You don't do that. But it is said quite commonly on those sidelines by coaches, by teammates. I'll tell you what, man, and maybe it's because he's rolling his sleeves up. You know, to follow in the footsteps of that Russell Wilson question right there, Geno Smith just looks to the eye like a different guy. I mean, physically, he does. And I know he's posted some videos and he's talked about it and Pete even talked about it like you can't wear him down. Do your eyes see a just equipped and built Geno Smith in a way that they hadn't been even in the previous few years? Yeah, and you know, and we didn't. Uh, I think when we talked to Geno, I don't know if we asked him specifically if he if he put on some some weight at all, but I would agree with you. He, he definitely does sort of look at that when you just kind of look at his biceps and everything. And he seems to wear his, his, his 
jerseys in a way that uh, I think let us see that as well. I think he's I think he's sort of proud of it of, of, of the work he's done there. But he did mention that uh, that you know he knows he's in a different spot now. Where unlike last year, where you know everything was sort of focused on winning the job, now he knows the job is his, and so the job, so everything he did this offseason was focused on okay, I've, uh, how to be the best quarterback I can be for a 17 game season, and you know, and not and then you know he played every snap last year, so it's not as if he had as if he. Uh, uh, necessarily wore down or anything, but he did suffer, you know, a couple of little injuries here and there uh, that you inevitably do just taking the hits that you take during the season. And, and I think that's what he wants to, you know, uh, obviously he got off to a great start last year and then, and then everything about everything sort of, um, you know, not just him, obviously there were defensive issues that sort of put him in some bad spots at times, but you know, they, they I mean, they won six of their first nine games and then they lost six of the last nine games, if you, if you include the playoffs. And so I think, that's what he wants as the leader this year to be like, you know, the goal this year is just to get off to a good start, but to uh, be able to maintain that for 17 games and into hopefully playing 18, 19, 20. Okay. Last two really quick questions here. And they both are uh, hard hitting. So embrace yourself, buckle up. (sighs) Top three Seahawks who will look best in the throwback uniforms. Top three, when they play Cleveland. And as you tweeted this morning, they're probably going to wear them in Dallas too. So we're going to get to see him twice. Who will look best in that throwback uni? Top three. Well, I mean, I, DK Metcalf. I mean, it's just impossible not for him to <laughs> not just look good in anything he does out there. Um, you know, I'll go with Bobby Wagner for the other, just because he's so you know seeing uh, you know the, the one guy who's left from from the Super Bowl team where you know then be able to wear that. I think I think that group of players. Wanted and hoped to be able to do that forever, and then um, let's see for a third. I'll, I'll go with Tariq Woolen. That you know, he's another guy. He just always really kind of stands out on the field out there. Yeah, no, very very good answers. Uh, two of them I would totally agree with. Third, you know, maybe Salk and I will argue about. Uh, lastly, I would have said Michael Dixon. A little surprised yeah. that you didn't go. Yeah, with the yeah. I mean, well, we'll get to that when Bob leaves. <laughs> lastly, is there any truth to the rumor that the media has decided to also go throwback attire? No that you're going to go 70s, 80s attire. You're going to bring back your grunge look. Um, is there any truth to the matter that the media has just all decided you collectively? Bob, Bob's not going to wear skinny jeans. He's going to go old yeah. school. And Art Teal doesn't well, have to worry about it. Most people would say my wardrobe hasn't evolved since the 70s, <laughs> so I don't have to go throwback. I just take whatever is laying around. But uh, that, would be, that would be a fun thought, yeah, for sure. Okay. Everybody to just kind of... Uh, um, yeah, I mean, in some of the yeah, some of the media like you know like Tim Booth of the AP and the guys like that kind of just look that way all the time anyway as well. True, so. true. A return to the eighties with Bob or Bobby or Rob or Robbie or Robert Condota, however you want to call him, he goes by Bob, and we appreciate it, Bob. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us. We'll see you over there later today. Okay. All right. Thanks for you guys. There, there you go. There's Bob Condota, Seattle Times. Does a truly great job. Works his butt off. Yeah, he man. does. That's two days in a row. Honestly, you know. I, Two days in a row talking to Seattle Times beat reporters at 830. Yesterday was Divish. Today was Kenoda. And both of them, just to take a moment to praise both, they are exactly what you would want out of beat reporters in the modern day. Yep. I mean, I know back in the day, I mean, and Brock, you talk so throwback 70s, 80s, et cetera. There was an expectation that beat writers were breaking stories and this, that, and the other. That doesn't happen anymore. All of that stuff gets fed to to you particular know, outlets right yep. to the, the national guys the, yep. that's true in, in both baseball and football and bob and i'd throw brady on this list brady does a great job with this as well and they're not the only ones davis shannon but just because we happen to be talking about both uh both both bob and and ryan right now they do a really good job of bringing you some of the color 
around the team, getting to know the guys, who they are, what's really going on. And I always feel like I, I learn a little bit more and get a little bit more educated each time we talk to them. I would say if, again, I were to characterize this for young, aspiring media people and journalists, I think what they both of those two do very well and others in the market as well. Mm-hmm. They have those beat writers have such a personal relationship. They're there every day. They're yeah. around the players, around the team in ways that others aren't. And the best of them can have a personal relationship, yet arm's length transaction. And that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do. You see some that just get sucked in and it's so personal and it just doesn't feel that way. You see others that break relationship, that burn bridges, that you know purposely are just going to be that. I'm going to be that old school and I'm going to try to tear it down. And, and it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Like to do that job well... Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to do, and I, I think marry those things and navigate those things pretty well. Where are, okay, you, so, where are you at with Jamal? What do you mean? Just where are you at? I mean, like a couple mean? weeks ago, what we had mean? the where conversation. I just like to kind of know where you're at before I go over there today, run into people who blame me for things you say, et cetera. Like, I want to, I just want to kind of know where you're at. You were, if you you're get run into today here. and somebody bothers you about it, just have that little MP3 of Quandre Diggs. Just play that for I'm anybody that wants that. to bother no, you. About I want, it. I want to hear it from you. What you want me to play that sound. This is what, what Quandre okay, said. But then to be fair, you're going to play the sound of Quandre talking earlier about how important finishing the rehab was and how he did the same thing. Uh, do you we have that sound? Do we have oh, I that? can't. Maura, I can pick and choose. I'm just yes. saying I believe Quandre would say, hey, I also said. Yeah, he- I, I know. I've been on the journey, and I was on the journey, but Quandre is not Jamal. Jamal is the one of the highest paid players in the game. Jamal was traded for two first-round picks. Quandre Diggs was not. They're in different situations with different roles, frankly, with some different ceilings, too. So I'm not going to take Quandre's journey and say, oh, this is the way you have to do it. But you just wanted to play his sound as support. Here here you go. Yes, I do. Here's Quandre. I mean, this week is dope, you feel me? Because now everybody's here, you know what I mean? And everybody's running their own race, you know what I mean? So I know what Maul and JB are going through, you know, with injuries and rehabbing and stuff like that. So... You know, I talked to those guys, and, you know, having them all back, it's been awesome. You know what I mean? Um, you guys know you guys know our relationship is different when 33's out there. And uh, it's just energy, uh, a contagious, you know, thing that he brings. And it's one of those things that I can't wait to – he's back out there, like, playing, playing, because it's going to be fun. You know, I know he has big goals, which he should. All right, Maura, here you go. For you, I will add this one in here as well. It's been mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, I can be done with all my work by 11 o'clock and I got time to kind of relax and, you know, go get massages and do those different things where, you know, last year it was, you know, rehab to 11. Then you get out on the field for an hour because, you know, you don't have a a lot of time. You can't do too much on your body without, you know, stressing that ankle out and making it sore where you can't even do anything the next day. So um, it's been awesome. I've been able to get back to my normal training routine and, you know, um, hopefully it pays off. And he did that a year ago, and he did. And he went through a horrific injury. And and he's been the first to say, like, he thinks and believes that Jamal's doing the best thing for Jamal, right? That you go do your rehab, you go do all of that, and, and respects that. I believe, this is my opinion, I'm opinionist, I believe that Jamal's best case would be go back and forth because the influence he has. When Quandre was not around last year, you didn't hear other guys say, oh, oh, man, like, when he's here, you see it, you feel it. That's Jamal. That's, that's why they gave up all of that draft equity. That's why they paid him. That's what they expect of him. You've got to be a difference maker. Quandre's a captain. Quandre is a leader. Quandre is a chief. But on the scale of them, 
and he admitted to this yesterday and he said as much more in one of the cuts you had like you know i got a little great last year because it was all on me and it's really nice to have bobby and it's really nice to have jamal because those two are chiefs i think frankly ahead of quandre right i mean just from bobby's standpoint he's a hall of famer and jamal's standpoint when he's right and his upside he's all pro I mean, he's just in and, and his and his just personality and in the in his infectiousness and everything his emotion. That's what he is. It's not fake. And that's what, you know, that team needs. And, and I think that's why when you ask, where am I at with Jamal? I'll say it again. I think it would have been very beneficial if he could have been there, not for weeks on end. I never asked that. And not the whole time. But this team needs him, needs him. And uh, it's been great that he's been there these three days. Not surprised because he didn't want to get fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. Let's put it this way. If he wasn't going to get fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for mandatory camp, would he be there this week? I don't know. I don't think he would. But also, too, I'm not sure. I don't don't think he would. Brock. Yes. Who are your three? Oh, it is definitely, without question, DK. And we can right. broaden this to Justin Moore. It's got to be DK. Justin Moore. For sure. In. DK and the throwbacks. DK and Bobby, I think, are no questions. It's really the third. Who else is on the medal stand that you want to see in that throwback? Hmm. Who do you think will look best? I've been trying to figure this out for a while. I mean, like... <sighs> Maura, you said to me earlier, what kind of look is Ken Walker wearing right now? What's he rolling with? Oh, he's wearing the tall socks, like almost knee high. <sighs> Short shorts, tall socks, right. 70s, 80s. You put one of those big old mouthpieces that they used to wear, like the Walter Payton mouthpiece, <laughs> in Ken Walker in that throwback uniform, brother. It is on like Donkey well, Brock, Kong. You're, like, you're probably most familiar with these, having seen them on the field. Like, yes. who, what positions did you yes. think looked best in them? I mean, you... Ricky. Like, come on now, Ricky. Give give Ricky the ball now. When Ricky gets you down here, yeah. you give Ricky the ball. It's sort of a running back uniform. And isn't Ricky it? wore uh, like a Charbonnet. You think? Walker. Well, they don't you really think? have a fullback, unfortunately, right? Like, it would be a great for sort of a, like, John L. Williams-type yes. fullback role. They don't really have you that. Put a, put a little neck roll. Char- Charbonnet's closest. Put a neck roll on Charbonnet? Yeah. Ooh. Now, can we start throwing neck rolls Ooh. out there? I mean, if that's going to be, if we wear a cowboy collar or something like that, we can uh, put a little neck roll on, like, a Jordan Brooks, right? Like that? Yes. Well, that you got Bobby, be- though. You got Bobby. Jamal would be, I'm telling you too, Jamal would be I'll tell some, you, Boye Mafe and Derek Hall look good in whatever they're wearing too, man. Those are some yeah. some just, and and even Daryl Taylor. I mean, those three guys on the outside. 866 Come on, Text Toy. That's Text Machine. Way in here, Text Toy. Who do you think will look best against those Cleveland Browns down in Dallas? The two times the throwbacks are... Take DK and Bobby off. I'm All sorry. Right. Did Jason the, Myers and Michael Dixon get any love? That's what I said. I said Michael Dixon. Like, I, you know, I thought that would be sort of a good look. Sort of like, uh, who was the old kicker here back in the day? Casey? Norm Johnson. Yeah, Casey. Norm Johnson. Yep. Yes, or Norm Casey Johnson. or one of those guys. John Casey. Yeah, let's oh, yeah. John Casey. Yes, with a C, right? Or a K? Yeah, no, I think it was a C. It was no, a C. That's what I thought. Up. All right. Uh-huh. Man, we're going old school, apparently. Uh, it's Brock and Salk on Seattle Sports on 710.